0: this is salt city hoops on espn 700 your best insight into utah jazz basketball and the nba in utah for the next two hours it's nothing but nba conversation from the local front to around the association now let's get things rolling with salt city hoops on utah's number one sports talk espn 700.
1: all right welcome everybody into the show today my name is andy larson alongside ben dowsett here for the salt city Hoops show on espn 700 happy to be here We've got some big NBA news to talk about on the show today. We just had a trade with uh, sending Rajon Rondo to the Dallas Mavericks. We'll break that down in just a few moments. Uh, As well as on the show today, we've got guest Jimbo Rudding, him of the infamous retweets on Twitter. So if you haven't given him a follow already, check out Jimbo at Jimbo Rudding on Twitter because, well, the man, the man has some interesting,
2: clever, funny out of, out-of-this-world tweets. I, I get a, a real kick out of some of his. I, I can't tweet that creatively in 140 characters. I just can't do it. <laughs>
1: and then we also have uh, Salt Lake Tribune beat writer for the Utah Jazz, Aaron Falk, on the program in the uh, second hour. So he's going to give us some insight on the Utah Jazz, as well as you know what it's like to be a beat writer. They're on this... Uh, Aaron's actually in town. Tony's going on this long road trip, but I kind of want to get uh, the perspective of the beat writer. Uh, you know, Learn what it is like to go out on the road and follow these teams. And, you know, what are the best interviews are and that sort of thing so you know we'll get that perspective from Aaron Lon later in the show uh, and then we've also got some fun around the NBA time of course Ty Corbin is now a head coach in the NBA so we want to talk about that a little bit uh, we have some LOL Lakers as always Derek Favors is featured in one of the city's finest magazines Gordon Hayward's playing great I mean there's so much to talk about in Jazzland the Jazz got a win yesterday there's a there's a
2: we got a lot to talk about today we, really we do, do.
1: In fact, we, we have so much to talk about today that we have three topics in this first segment. The, and we're going to go ahead and call it the triple team. That's kind of the name of our signature segment, signature recap after every jazz game on saltcityhoops.com. We're the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Check us out if you haven't already. Uh, so let's break it down. Point number one, this Rajon Rondo deal.
2: I think this is the first time we haven't opened with a jazz thing since we've we've had the show, right? It's
1: true, but when there's breaking NBA news to be covered, breaking NBA news must be covered.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And so, again, uh, for those that have not been seeing this today, we will recap the trade. The Celtics are going to be sending Rajon Rondo as well as Dwight Powell, the infamous league leader in PER right now, I believe, in his six minutes or whatever that he's played so far. They will be sending those two to Dallas. Dallas will be sending in return Brandon Wright. They'll also be sending Jay Crowder. They'll also be sending jameer nelson and they'll be sending their first round pick for 2015 which i believe is unprotected because there's no sense in dallas protecting a pick that's going to be somewhere in the 20s anyway it actually is protected oh it is okay Rose just tweeted that it's protected from one to three and 15
1: to 30 in 2015 and then in 2016 to 2020 it is protected to number seven
2: so, so this they're going to not get it this year uh, then.
1: presumably unless dallas you know tanks, tanks right yeah
2: uh, they'd have to miss the playoffs essentially, which is not impossible in this year's Western yeah. Conference. And Boston is stacked up with picks, so it's not like they're gonna be, you know, myth a major loss if they don't get that particular pick. But now, Andy, I think you and I maybe slightly disagree on what this does for these teams, in particular Dallas, because you know Boston whatever you think of their value and I personally think Danny Ainge their GM has done an excellent job here considering the way Rajon Rondo's game has declined which we'll get into in a moment and the the value around the league for these types of players with point guard being the most stacked position in the league uh, I don't love objective rankings but I don't know that there's any way you can rank Rajon Rondo, Rondo as one of the 10 best players at his position currently not currently he was but not currently
1: no just because there are so many good point exactly. guards in the league and, and, and yeah. truthfully Rajon Rondo for the last two seasons hasn't looked like the Rajon. John Rondo that we all kind of know and love from the, you know, Bill Simmons always talks about this national TV Rayjean Rondo that he yeah. goes above and beyond when the spotlight's on the Celtics and the spotlight hasn't been on the Celtics for the last two to three
2: seasons. No, not at all. And it will continue to not be, you know, this is a, this is a decent move for them, but I think all of the current contracts they brought back are going to expire after this year anyway. Uh, Crowder is a restricted free agent, so they'll have the rights with him. Brandon Wright will become unrestricted, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, I think it's a good haul for Boston, especially the pick. And I, I think they actually also got a second rounder out of it that I yeah. didn't mention. Mm-hmm. So they're stocking up some picks, and I like it for them. Now... I do not like this deal for Dallas, and okay. now I, I, that is for two reasons. The first is that I don't I don't believe Rajon Rondo is an elite player at his position anymore, and I believe that that is going to be the case going forward. He's only twenty eight years old. I know, I know, I know. Okay. I have I've... I have reasons for these things, and second, I'm very high on Brandon Wright, as are a number of people, and I think that the loss of him specifically the 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 Mavericks' big depth is now down to two people. Their big depth is now Dirk Nowitzki and Tyson Chandler, and Tyson Chandler is, and both of those guys are in their 30s, their mid-30s, and Tyson Chandler is notoriously injury-prone. And the guys that we're looking at after that are guys like Greg Smith, Charlie Villanueva, Charlie Villanueva. Finally, uh, we're counting on Charlie Villanueva. Uh, we're, lo- we're looking, at, so Richard, we're looking at Richard Jefferson playing four yeah. for them, which, you know, jazz fans can tell you how that went during his brief minutes from last season at the four. Um,
3: Unleash the fury!
2: Yeah. Um and now the bigger thing for me though is Rondo himself. And whether or not we actually think that Rondo is a really big upgrade on the other guys that they've got in their guard rotation currently. And I think the idea with bringing him over is that you're going to have a, you know, he's been in the past he's been a very good defensive point guard and maybe not elite but very good. And I and I will Absolutely, give that he could certainly return to that level. He has. It's been tough with a team that allows a lot of points anyway in Boston and things like that. He could absolutely become an above average point guard defender, and that's good because Dallas, they're a bit lacking in terms of their defense kind of all across the board, and I'm, I wouldn't debate that. Here's the thing, though his offense has been really, really bad. Not <laughs> yeah. just this season, but in previous seasons. And you're trying to add him into an offense that is very specific in the stuff that they do. My main thing here is that I I just don't feel Rajon Rondo fits with what the Dallas Mavericks do offensively. You look at a guy like Monte Ellis, whose entire game is essentially based on getting to the hoop and when people get in his way at the hoop, exploiting those rotations and kicking it out to a bunch of shooters... You're now gonna have one fewer capable shooter on the floor anytime Rajon Rondo is playing with Monte Ellis.
1: Sure, yeah. I would. Al- I would also say first of all that that's Rajon Rondo's game. I also like want to give you some evidence. You know, I want to throw out some stats. Let's do first it. First of all, just Rajon Rondo shooting. So first of all, he's shooting 33% from the free throw line this season. He is. Subpar, I would Slightly. say. Yeah, that's that's ugly. Twenty-five percent from three, again, probably subpar. Forty percent uh, overall from the whole floor, and, and then you look at his shooting numbers from uh, you know outside of those. So uh, again, not a good mid-range shooter from sixteen feet to the three-point line. Only shooting thirty-five percent there. He's a decent ten to sixteen-foot shooter, uh, but you're right. He's not a shooting guard. You know. Uh, and if you are counting on the ball being in Monte Els's hands for him to drive and kick, this, that's not what this trade is for. Definitely. That being said, what Rajon Rondo has shown himself to be excellent at is bending defenses around and then finding the open man for shots. And and Dallas is a lot like the Celtics team of your in that they have finishers in Dirk Nowitzki, in Tyson Chandler, who can absolutely put those shots away. Chandler Parsons as well. I also think that this is the right move. You know, I agree with you that losing Brandon Wright is a big deal. And I agree with you that losing Jay Crowder is is a big deal for for Dallas' bench. But I think this is such a variance trade. Like, the chance that Dallas was a contender before now, I think, was low just because of how non-ideal their defense was. Their defense wasn't good enough to be a true contender, in my book. I think this gives them the possibility of being a much better defensive team.
2: The possibility, sure. but Yeah, I, but
1: that's I, what you need in order to be an NBA champion, right? You true. know, you don't get become an NBA champion by being middle of the road. You become an NBA champion by getting a lot of things lucky and having everything work out and then having more talent than everybody else. The Mavericks just added talent if everything goes well. That's the only way that the Mavericks were going to be contenders for the championship this season no matter what.
2: I I agree to a point. Raymond Felton hasn't exactly been like a world beater on defense. He never has been. And I, I just, I don't, like I said before, Rondo in his past has been a good defender. I don't think he has been a great defender. And I think you, you in a way, kind of underestimated his what his effect is going to be offensively and how you know that this is a player that for this season and the last two seasons in Boston, of all places, where if you could name me another superstar on that team over these those seasons, that would they, you can't. Kelly Olinick. Kelly O'Linick, There you go. <laughs> uh, on that Boston team, despite their lack of stars or really above average players in too many other places on the court, their team has been better offensively per 100 possessions with Rondo sitting on the bench for each yeah. of the last three seasons, including. This one. Look, I agree with you. Like,
1: if he plays like he did in Boston over the last few seasons, it's a stupid deal by Dallas. It
2: doesn't work. But. You have to take risks in order to succeed in this Agreed. league. I definitely agree with that, and that, and you know what? This is a Dallas team. They've got one of the best coaches ever to coach the game of basketball mm-hmm. there, and they're they're putting that into perspective as well. They've got an owner in Mark Cuban who has never been afraid to roll the dice on these kinds of things before. And part part of what I like so much about this particular thing is that I think both of our opinions are pretty viable here. Like I don't I, like I think <laughs> I think I'm right. I think you're wrong. I th- I think I'm right, but I don't necessarily like. There's there are plenty of potential outcomes where you could be right. Yeah, is what I'm saying, well, there, you know, and and by the way, guys, uh, let us know what your opinions on are on this as well. Feel free to tweet either of us, Andy at Andy B Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Andy, want to give him the phone yeah, number? Yeah, you
1: can also call in to the phone number, which is eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred. If you want to if you want to weigh in on this. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I agree that like, you know, maybe even in the middle of the road, maybe in like the most likely scenario, this results in a few fewer regular season wins for the Dallas Mavericks. And now here's
2: the thing. And I I thought, I figured you were going to say that and I and I have something for that specifically. I think that is a much, much bigger deal than most people would generally tend to make it in this year's Western Conference. Normally you think, you know, whatever, they're definitely going to make the playoffs, they've got a good enough record, they're too far away from the ninth seed, so on and so forth. They're going to get it together by the playoffs, and as you, I think you mentioned on Twitter earlier today, rotations get shorter during the playoffs, so you don't have to worry so much about the fact that they may have just killed a little of their depth with Brandon Wright, right. so on and so forth. Here's the thing. A couple of losses that you wouldn't have otherwise had could make a huge difference in your seeding in this Western Conference. Agreed.
1: I mean, that being said, this Western Conference is so difficult that I'm not sure it
2: matters. You I, know, like I think I, whether if they had a chance at getting a four seed and then they lose a few extra games and they're a seven instead, I think it makes a big difference.
1: No, that means that's a difference between playing like Houston and Portland. Well, it's or also like, the difference
2: between being at home and being away.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I, okay. I guess that's true. You know, then you have one more home game if you go from four to seven. But if you go from five to seven, then it doesn't matter. True. If you go true. from, you know, two to four, it doesn't matter. So it's only if you go from the high end to the low end. Seeds one through four through two seeds, five through eight. But I, I, I So I, I see that point. But I think it actually matters less than it normally would just because this year's Western Conference is so packed up at the top, that you're going to run into a powerhouse of a team no matter where you are.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I definitely see your point here. The other thing is that Rondo's, I mean... Everything's down for him. His turnovers are at his career high. Oh yeah, his, uh, his assist no, uh, percentage is at its lowest that it's been in his entire or not his entire career, but like since his rookie year or something like that. And again, again, we're they're counting on him. As we said, they're counting on him being better than what he's been in Boston these last right. few years. And I'm just not sure that the team that they're putting around him and that the the situation that he's in is necessarily conducive to that happening. Just the way that Dallas plays offense, I could be wildly underestimating Rick Carlisle. That's I I will say that that is an entire possibility. He might already have an entire new offense with Rondo planned. <laughs> out that because he, he knew about this or so where he knew there was no. a possibility a week ago, right? And like the sure. man's a genius. I, I mean so. he's
1: been thinking about it, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah. like you can't also just implement a new offense, you know, midway through in December in the NBA calendar. You know, I think True. the offense will look the same. You know, you know, sure, you give Ray Jean Rondo some of Monte Ellis's pick and rolls. And you you know you take the ball away from Chandler Parsons a little bit and make him a little bit more of a shooter. I, I think all of those things are things that the Mavs will do. But I also think that Ray John Rondo is suited to do those tasks.
2: He is, but he's just you know when you're talking. This is a team that rotates the ball a ton. They pass the ball a ton, and when you're looking for a guy that every you just have to assume generally that when he is on the court, everything for everybody now offensively is going to be so much more cramped than it was before. Everything is going to be a little bit tighter. There's going to be a couple of more arms in the way because Rondo's guy has absolutely no reason to guard him outside of about 13 feet from the hoop. I, I just think that for a team that I mean this is the has been the best offense into the to the le- in the league to this point. I think they're going to have to rejigger stuff to get him to work in that offense. And I'm, I'm, yeah, a little I'm, bit. I'm not sure whether it might not be a move that the, the timing looks a little curious considering how awesome their offense has already been. To
1: yeah, me. Uh, th- I, their offense has been great. It's been one of the best in league history, don't get me wrong. Matthew Kimball on Twitter tweets us, and luckily he agrees with me. <laughs> you have to roll the dice. I would make the trade. Without the trade, there's no chance for a title. I, with I, the
2: trade, there's a small chance for a title. I I honestly just don't think that this trade moved their title odds. On, maybe maybe a, a percentage point. No, maybe. See, I just, that's I the just thing. Is like so.
1: Rajon Rondo is such a wide variance player that like it could happen if if the stars align, the Dallas Mavericks win the title. I don't know if the stars align with the team as it was
2: yesterday. Yeah, I just I see that team. I see that offense getting into a playoff series with teams that can scout a very specific team one on one, and then being shut down when teams realize how they can take advantage of that complete non-shooting guard that's on the court for a long long period of minutes. They anyway, couldn't with the Celtics back in the day. It's true they couldn't. Things have changed in the league since then yeah, a little bit. But I, all right, so we I got mean, we got other stuff. Yeah, let's move on to this. point
1: two. We've got Dante Exum with the Utah Jazz has improved his play of late. In, in the last two games, he's uh, put. Put t- together, sorry, twenty-two points total and, and double-digit figures in both games. I honestly, you know, that's a big step, honestly, for Dante, who had been putting single-digit totals before. Then he's looked a lot more aggressive, um, and, and he's kind of taken this uh, path. Uh, he's kind of taken a larger role in the offense, which is something that fans have been asking for, and truthfully, Quinn Snyder has been asking for it for a long time now. So I want to ask you first of all, can you see the progression in
2: Dante Exum's game? You know, just from where we were on October 29th to right now. Absolutely. It's probably been and and it did, this does tie directly into Quinn Snyder and and Quinn Snyder's expectations and sort of the way Quinn Snyder has has worked Dante Exum along is I, I just I love the way that he's been kind of uh not slowly because they were you know they were playing in minutes right from the start but moved into the 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 flow of things moved into being a little bit more aggressive moved into a, a definitely being a he's become a better and better defender you know again we've said it a bunch of times but this is a guy whose pre-draft scouting report was that he was going to be a massive minus in the league as a defender and he's been made one of the best rookie defenders in the league thus far especially at the guard the, the guard slash yeah. wing positions I think it's it's hard to argue with that um And I really love that most recently Quinn has, and especially last night we saw it for several minutes, uh, Quinn has started to play both Trey Burke and Dante on the court together, which I, uh, whether or not this is going to be a future thing, which we we can't know that now, I think you have to, if it's going to be, you have to start giving them time together so that they can get comfortable in that sort of a pairing, and I thought they looked pretty good last night when they were together.
1: Yeah, I agree. No, and I think that's something that, you know, we heard over and over again in training camp and preseason that it was something that the Jazz thought were, was possible. And then when the regular season started, it's like a, it, those discussions never even happened. It was basically Dante XM as Trey Burke's backup. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see more of the mixing that I think makes a lot of sense, especially with the deficit of wings that the Jazz have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've been really happy to see it. I, th- I mean, Dante clearly has the size to be a guy who might, depending on how he develops away from the ball, be able to play more than one position. I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Um, we started to see him go to the hoop a little more. We yeah, haven't... you looked up this interesting set on drives. I did, yeah. So Sportview, uh, the our favorite little tool here, tracks drives to the hoop, which are considered anything that start, anytime a player starts from more than twenty feet away from the hoop and ends up at close at least ten feet, excuse me ten feet or closer to the hoop. That makes sense at the end. That's a, a drive quote unquote. Now for the year, Dante is only driving one point eight times per game, which is not very much. It's a it's a very small number. In fact, for guards, but he's shooting fifty percent on those drives, which is a great number, and he's generating two point four points per forty eight minutes, which again. Not a huge number. So give me give me a comparison. Like, what's Trey Burke doing? Uh, Trey Burke, for reference, he's driving a lot more frequently. He's driving seven point two times per game. So that's more than triple the amount of time. And he, of course, he does play more minutes than Dante, so that's understandable. So that's but
1: per game, not per forty-eight that is, minutes. That is
2: per game. But even if you were to do it per minute, for how much both are playing, I think it came out to, to Trey's driving about double the times per minute okay. that, that Trey. Okay. Excuse me, that Dante is. Understood. And, but here's the thing: Trey is only shooting thirty-two percent. 32.2 to be specific on these drives and he's only creating 3.3 points per 48 minutes meaning that the gap between the two of them in by, in terms of per minute points that they're creating despite like I said Trey doing it way more often is actually pretty small and what that tells us is Dante needs to drive to the hoop more often
1: yeah no I, I don't think there's any doubt and what's been encouraging over the last couple of games is that he has um when Trey Burke drives to the hole, he can't finish, right? I just, I, and maybe he can develop those skills. And in fact, that's, I know he's practicing that. I watch every, you know, every practice that I go to with the jazz at the end of practice, he's doing that little floater, practicing that over a big man coach defender, trying to get that part of his game down so he can be a better finisher. But right now he just doesn't have it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, if this is a, a combo that we could see together down the road, you've have you absolutely have to have at least one of those guys from your your one two spots because you know who knows what ends up happening with Alec Burks and, and whether he's a part of the the starting lineup going forward. He's been a bit of an interesting case so far, um, but I, I've been really encouraged by Dante and m- more importantly, like I said before, by the way that. Quinn Snyder has been kind of slowly easing him along but at the same time telling him you can almost you can almost read his lips I mean I I can't (laughs) lip read at all but you can almost read his lips or his thoughts in when he pulls Dante to the side they're saying you're good enough to get past these guys Uh, you're faster than these guys you're you're just do it and and the way especially the way that he can distribute out of it he's already shown his passing acumen to be really high I think we're just going to continue to see a a, a lot of ascension here from him and I I don't think that the clamoring for him to be starting which I do think is foolish I don't think that's going to go anywhere i attention. i don't either
1: uh i there's that one instance one game where he said if, if you don't shoot that i will take your beep out so some self you will he will take your donkey out <laughs> yes uh let's move on to point three here and that's ennis Cantor's improved play so uh, you know he's put up some excellent offensive games over the last week. Started with the home game against Miami, when he put up 25 points on 17 shots, uh, as well as gathering eight rebounds there. He's not fouling either, which is great. Uh, next game against Washington, or sorry, next game against the Pelicans, put up 29 points um, on 22 shots, seven is that career rebounds. That was a career high, or season a, high? Uh, I believe. It was a career high. Yeah. Yes, and his career high before that was 27. Uh, and then last night at Miami 18 points on 12 shots he's really putting together a nice stretch of offensive games that shows that he can actually
2: handle a really large part of the offensive load for the Jazz which is something that they've needed as of late absolutely and he's He's really, I mean, his footwork, this guy's footwork has always been, I, I funnily enough, compared him to uh, to guys like Akeem Olajuwon and Tim Duncan in terms of footwork only at the beginning of last season. Obviously, that's the only area in which he he, <laughs> he is comparable to those greats of all time. Okay. But his the guy's footwork is, is really, really, really great. He's He understands how to keep a pivot, but how to, but th- kind of Al Jefferson-like, how to throw in multiple fakes without getting rid of your pivot and without getting rid of your balance and positioning, which is really excellent. He's got a number of these one-dribble moves. This is something that our friend Zach Lowe highlighted in his 10 Things to Like and Not Like. I believe it was uh, sometime either earlier this week or last week. Earlier this week. Was it earlier this week, correct. He's, he's got a number of moves where because he's got that range from 18 feet, which he's developed really well, he's got guys closing out to him on pick-and-pops. He'll... Throw the little pump fake at him, get him in the air. One dribble to the basket. We've seen a couple of really big dunks, actually, in the last couple of games from those. Uh, He had one against the Pelicans that was pretty massive, actually. And uh, it's, it's really encouraging to see him, especially offensively, essentially come into his own confidence-wise. This is a guy who now knows that he can score on NBA starters consistently, that he can get guys in the air, that he he's he does a really good job of using the basket to shield himself from potential shot blockers. Do you know what I mean by that? When yeah. He, that that move that he's got where he's on the left block, he'll take one dribble, and the, or he won't even dribble, that is, excuse me, and he'll... Uh, He'll slide off his back shoulder and do a quick spin, go under the hoop and lay the ball in because he knows that his defender can't literally come across the actual hoop to block him. It's a great move. He's been doing it all year, but guys haven't seemed to catch on yet for some reason. But for me, the biggest thing is, is he improving defensively? Because that's always been the issue. We knew this guy is going to be capable of scoring in the league. What do you think about what he's done defensively? It's been better over the last week or so. And it's hard to say, like, oh, he's played three defensive
1: games. Awesome. Because, you know, he has a whole career of of not playing well defensively. And I, and I think that probably you have to take that into account, certainly. But at least it, it's encouraging. You know, I, I thought he was at, at the beginning of this month, I thought he had shown enough that, you know, he was basically essentially out of the Jazz's long-term plans. And now I think he might be creeping back into them a little bit, just with how good he's been offensively and how decent he's been defensively yeah I wouldn't call it average yet but it's close
2: I would say close ish I mean the team has still not been except for these last couple of games not been particularly good defensively as a whole so you have to judge him in that format as well he's the the effort is is absolutely there and you can see that and that's for me that's the a a big part of it with him and he's I, I think he's starting to pick up a couple of more things mentally in terms of where he needs to be in certain situations not getting caught so far out of position
1: Agreed. No, I I completely agree. Well, we got to go to a break, but next segment, we're going to have the retweet king, Mr. Jimbo Rudding, talking about his relationship with Jimmer Fredette, as well as all the other random NBA players that he's tried to get retweets from. We'll also have him talk about his mailbag on Salt City Hoops and basically just bring some Jimbo craziness for the next 10 minutes. You're listening to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN
0: 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
1: Welcome back into the show. So, we just wrapped up talking about the Rajon Rondo trade. If you haven't heard by now, Rajon Rondo went to the Dallas Mavericks from the Boston Celtics in return for uh, Brandon Brandon Wright. Brandon Wright. Jay Thank Crowder. you. I was going to say Brandon Knight, but that's not right. That
2: is not the right person. Brandon Wright, Jay Crowder, Jameer Nelson, first round pick next year, which is protected and will likely actually transfer over to 2016, and then also a uh, second round pick as well. Yes. So that's.
1: That's your big NBA news for today. And now on the line, we go a little bit f- from one end of the of the scale, from serious to crazy. We've got Jimbo Rudding. Um, Jimbo is on Twitter, at Jimbo Rudding. You may know him as a man who just constantly tweets Jimmer Fredette asking for retweets, and, of course, other NBA players as well. Jimbo, are you there? I am. It's good to hear from you, sir. So you're famous. You're, you're 15 minutes of fame are here because – Mr. Jody Genesee, um favored guest on the show here on ESPN 700, went down to New Orleans this week and actually asked Mr. Jimmer about your somewhat unusual tweets to him. And in particular yeah, No, and in particular he actually asked, you know, have you have you seen these sort of retweets and he says or have you seen these tweets and he says he "quote" unquote, I definitely see them. I think everyone on my Twitter account kind of likes it. They get a kick out of it with some of the things he says. And then when Jody asked if he's going to give you a retweet, he said, not yet. It'll have to be something that really catches your eye. So my question, first of all, Jimbo, is how do you feel after after knowing Jimmer or at least acknowledge your existence?
3: Yeah, no, it's great. You know, I didn't I didn't think he saw any of this stuff, or if he did, he just kind of skimmed over it. So it's kind of... It's interesting to ha to, to know that he he looks at it at least.
2: But does it make you feel worse in a sense that he, <laughs> that he looks at it and still hasn't given you the retweet you've wanted so badly for all this time?
3: Yeah, you know what, it makes me feel like I need to work harder. I guess apparently, I thought uh, I thought I was already, but. Uh... No. no, yeah, I need I need to do something better, I guess. You you work pretty hard.
2: I was I was gonna ask I have a c I unfortunately I'm I'm stupid and didn't pull them up before we started here, but I have a couple of of my all time favorites of yours that I've seen that I've thought there's no way he's not gonna retweet for that. Like things that I like I laughed out loud as they were said. But what's your do you have a favorite one, one that you think is the best
3: one you've ever sent? Oh man, you kinda of put me on the spot. I know, I, I know. I <laughs> I you know Jody actually asked me how many I've I've sent, and I I have no clue. I'd probably say, pretty close to I don't know four to five hundred, maybe. Wow. I don't know. That's so sad, and I and I, <laughs> I feel like a big loser as I say that out loud, but and I've admitted it to the radio world. But yeah, I say it's about that. So how long have you been really? doing it for?
1: Yeah, and, and let me. How did you get into this game? Who have you gotten retweets from? How how have you become the master of this? How have you become so well known of, of for the
3: Jimmer retweet? You, you know, I, I think what happened is that, you know, everybody starts out with zero followers on Twitter. And so it was me kind of messing around, trying to figure out how Twitter works, I guess. And uh, and so I, I decided, you know, these there's famous people on here. I'm going to try this out. And I started tweeting people, and uh, I got the jazz, a little bit of a jazz following, so I started tweeting jazz players. And uh, I, got, I got a couple of uh, responses from people, so I just kept doing it. It wasn't. You know, I'm mean, it's what essentially what it is is I'm trolling. I'm a <laughs> troll, right? So, but you're a pleasant realize... troll.
2: You're there's yeah. trolls out there that come around saying negative stuff. I've I've actually started to get a couple of those recently, and I've thought I've been popular because I I have <laughs> now I you've have a got couple the haters. But you're a you're <laughs> a pleasant troll. You're one who had, I would read trolls like you all day if I could laugh every time I got to read them.
3: Well, that's uh, well, that's nice. I don't you know I don't know if everybody feels that way, but yeah, it was uh, you know it was a, it was a big you know the first time. I kind of realized I was on with something here is that I tweeted Elijah Wood and I have no clue why that was or how I even came upon him, but I kind of tweeted him and telling him that, Hey, I need a retweet today. My dog's sick. He's been barking up blood. And I, you know, again, you think that I, it probably sounds like I sit here and think, well, what should I say? Should I say this? And, <laughs> and I, I don't like, I just, it just kind of comes out and I'm, I don't rethink things. And I, I probably should, but he, Retweet, he you know didn't retweet me, he, he responded and said, you need to take your dog to the vet because he, he has Parvo and you're an idiot. And soon, soon after that, I got like 30 or 40 people of his fans that saw it telling me that I needed to take my dog to the vet and I was an <laughs> idiot. And, you know, that kind of started it. As far as Jimmer goes, it kind of was just a thing where I thought, you know, he, maybe he'd be an easy target. Like, he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a, he's a nice guy. And, you know, because, you know, you always those like it's my birthday or my – son has the flu. Can I have a retweet? And and usually that'll do it, but I mean this guy is a tough nut to crack and I c I I can't figure it out. I don't know what it is. So I think you're gonna get him eventually
2: one of these days you're gonna get him. Who's the who's the best retweet that you have gotten from somebody? Yeah, you know,
3: I I've got uh Sean Marion, I think h- as far as like the follower count was the most I think he has over a million or had when it happened and that was, that was kind of a surprise. Again, I don't I don't do this you know, it sounds dumb but I don't do this really thinking I really want this guy to retweet me. It's to the point now where it's kind of like just a, a, a thing I do, you know? It's not like, I, I mean, it, it's cool that they respond, but that's not my primary objective, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, no, that I mean, that totally makes sense. At this point, I think it's become less of a, less of a thing necessarily for you than it is a thing for, like, all the people that follow you. Like, I I look forward to these tweets for when one of them's going to come and I'm going to get something to laugh about that I couldn't have thought of to put in 140 characters. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not nearly – I don't have that sort of wit in me. Like, I'm I'm smart in certain ways, but I just don't have w- quick wit and things like that, like a lot of folks on Twitter and yourself. So it's fun for me.
1: That's I mean, why Jimbo it, is a part of Salt City Hoops is because none of us have. Yeah. Nobody in the world, Jimbo, has your particular <laughs> – Set of skills, if you will.
3: Yeah, well, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah, like you know, it's Sean Marion is is probably the best one. Uh, Channing Fry, uh, Leandro Barboza was re- a recent one. Nice. So I mean, I, I I kept a list just because I kept being asked, you know, of who who retweeted, and so I've I've got a list of I don't know, 30 to 40 people that have retweeted me and, or responded in so- some way.
1: You also do a mailbag for Salt City Hoops. How's that been going for you?
3: That's awesome. It's, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been, you know, again, this is a huge outlet for me. So, you know, I use Twitter as kind of like my venting station. And, yeah, uh, and, and, and the, and the, the mailbag has been, been great. I, it's been kind of cool to interact somewhat with people and, and see who's as crazy as I am when they ask their questions. and You know, because it, it isn't for the analytical mind. It's uh, it could be somewhat serious questions and I answer them with... Just craziness and <laughs> those are my nonsense, fa- those are my really. favorite
2: yeah those are my favorite ones in fact are when people <laughs> ask you an entirely serious question and you just you, you throw some <laughs> sarcastic <laughs> remark back in their face I love it by the way guys for those of you who don't know you can read this particular mailbag column every Friday on Salt City Hoops and you can follow Jimbo on Twitter at Jimbo Rudding R U D D I N G which you should absolutely do he's a, an extremely worthwhile follower um, I've I've found the 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 thing about your mailbags that, that that's so much fun. I mean, besides just how fun they are in the first place, is that is kind of the departure they are from the rest of what we do on the site, right? Like we've got Andy and I are both extremely analytically minded. Dan's a genius. Like there's there's we got a bunch of other guys like that, and then. At least once a week, we get to break it up with a little bit of infusions of humor. Uh, what do you have any? Especially because the Jazz are bad, right?
1: Like exactly. If yeah, the Jazz yeah. were good, maybe we'd be like wasting our time a little bit. But since the yeah. Jazz are bad, we we need a distraction from you know the 29th worst defense in the league, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Do you have Do you have a favorite like question or line of questions that you've been asked so far? Are there things you hope to see so that you can you've got responses prepared for or anything like that?
3: You know, I, no, not really. I mean, I, I get, I get a lot of Jimmer questions and, and, you know, those are good. And, and, you know, if they're crazy questions, I usually answer them, but if they're the typical, have you, you know, has he ever talked to you or whatever? It's, it's kind of, I don't know. It, it's not exciting to me. So I like, I like the questions where people come up with weird things that they've noticed about a player, you know, like how he looks or what he does. That's it, kind of weird, but we all, most people just kind of like shrug it off, but you know, I, I I tend to like focus on that dumb stuff and think about it too much. <laughs> do you? But I'm, ha- but I'm total. I, I'm totally the black sheep of this site. You know, groups. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the I'm the crazy one out of the bunch. I think it's sure. a, I
2: think it's a good role to have. That's you, that's why we brought you into the family. Exactly. <laughs> do you have? Do you, I've actually always wondered this too. Do you have like a, a surplus of questions each week that you're not able to get to, or do you, are you pretty much able to get to most of them?
3: Yeah, you know what, I I've got a I've got a list of uh of ones that I, I haven't been able to get to that I hopefully we'll one day get to. Um it's not a long list and I, I try not to be redundant with questions if if they are about Jimmer or or something you know specific, but um but yeah, you know, especially after Jody talked to Jimmer the other day, um I, I got a I got an influx and it was and they're actually really really good, so Good. I'm looking forward so I'm kind of to this. I'm excited weeks. to answer them.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, tomorrow there'll be a new Jimbo mailbag on saltcityhoops.com. And of course, if you'd like to appear in any uh, Jimbo's mailbag, go ahead and send mailbag questions. What's the email address, Jimbo?
3: Yeah, it's uh, Salt City Hoops mailbag, I believe. Yeah, @gmail.com. at gmail.com. I was going to say, at what? That's, that's right. just the email address? I could just type that into
2: the, to the send bar and just send that? that? That's not how that works.
1: Okay, well, Jimbo, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to it tomorrow, and, and um, yeah, I'm excited.
3: All right. Thank you, guys.
1: Cool. Well, that was Jimbo Redding. Follow him again, if you haven't already, at Jimbo Rudding on Twitter. We're going to go ahead and take another break, but on the other side, we're going to talk about Mr. Gordon Hayward. He had a fantastic night last night against the Heat and really kind of showed his alpha dog status. We're going to talk about whether or not he can be a number one player in the NBA, as well as kind of talk about how and whether he's exceeded expectations from when he was drafted. So that's coming up next. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop show. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. Ben Dowsett is on the other side of the table with me. Uh, so we wanted to talk about Gordon Hayward a little bit. We, we, he played so well uh, last night against the Miami Heat in that in that win for the Utah Jazz, the 18-point win, 105-87 over last year's finalist. admittedly without LeBron James. Um, but he's a guy who put up 29 points last night Seven rebounds, sorry, six rebounds and seven assists. I I honestly don't know that I thought when the Jazz took him with a number nine pick in 2010 that he would ever put up a stat line that good. I mean, I just, I didn't think that he was capable of being that good of an NBA player. You know, how many guys in this league ever get 29 points on 13 shots? On 13 shots. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Uh,
2: I mean, how many guys ever get that good of a stat line in the league? I mean, you see, from time to time you'll see it, but guys who can come close to averaging things like that or to put up m- multiples of those games in a year, which this <laughs> right. is not the first time this year that he's done something like that, it's extremely rare to see guys with that kind of versatility and that's exactly why he got the kind of money that he did over the offseason is that he's he is a, a fairly unique, I mean, outside of your guys like your LeBron's and Carmelo's who were not necessarily he's saying on that saying he's on that level, but he's one of the only guys like them who can make those types of contributions all over the court and really not have too many discernible weaknesses in his game. There are a lot of really, really good NBA players that have big weaknesses in their games that you can exploit, right? Like... Uh, Dwight Howard is a good example I mean Dwight Howard's awesome but Dwight Howard can't shoot free throws to save his life and that's a huge weakness right you look across Hayward's game with perhaps the exception of his defense which I think the jury is still very far out on that because he hasn't played on a good defensive team yet in his career with the possible exception of that he really doesn't have any major warts in his game that teams can scout for before the game and be like this is where we got to attack Hayward
1: yeah and and that's that's extremely valuable as a team right to have someone who doesn't have those sort of weaknesses i just want to read draft express it's just a little snippet of draft express's profile of him back in 2010 to give you an idea of what i was talking about it says looking at hayward's body of work this is jonathan giveny by the way who you know does all every, basically everything for draft express or at least did at this point uh looking at hayward's body of work it is difficult to knock what he could bring to the table in a complementary role Smart and savvy, he is a coach's dream. But his lack of athleticism raises questions about his long term potential. That's really what I'm talking about. I I really thought, you know, Hayward, there would be, there is little doubt he would be a good role player. But I didn't think that he could put up these sort of numbers to be a number one guy on a team and, and put up nine of 13, get 29 points on 13 shots, and then to boot, add seven assists, six rebounds.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and you look back at that time, and I remember watching him specifically because those who who were into basketball at the time may remember uh, when he was playing with Butler that year. They made the finals in the NCAA tournament and lost on his his you know missed by two inches shot against Duke in the finals. There was a regional uh, here in Salt Lake City that was being played. I believe it was still the Delta Center back then, wasn't it, or had it changed? I had it changed? Oh, it had changed by then. Okay. Uh, either way, that building they were playing in that building, and and Hayward's Butler team was here, and I watched two. I believe they played two games here, and I think I watched both. Of them, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with my dad and my brother. And I remember thinking, I didn't, you know, my basketball acumen back then wasn't nearly what it is now, but I remember thinking this might be one of those guys who almost like a or who we were talking about on our last segment who has a real advantage over college players because of his smarts, his shooting ability, his his physique was a little bit more developed than most other guys that that he was playing against so a physical advantage, but the type of advantage that might ev- evaporate when he gets to the league and everybody's like that. That was kind of my initial thought at the time. And so I'll agree with you I think he's uh, especially from what I was thinking back then not knowing as much about the game he's really well exceeded those expectations and he's done it you know the athleticism thing from the draft express profile that you read is an interesting an interesting little tidbit because I don't think you would argue that that Gordon Hayward is, is has become a a much better athlete maybe a little bit of a better athlete like he's definitely developed into his body well and he can get off the ground and he can do what he needs to but this isn't a guy that's making highlight reel uh, athletic athleticism related plays all the time right he's he's this is just a guy who has developed the smart part of his game the fundamental part of his game his shooting i just looked up his catch and shoot uh percentages from the sport view data that we have uh-huh um so last year for example gordon shot on catch and shoot shots 31 percent 31.8 excuse me on three-pointers and on two-pointers, he shot 38.3%. So this on, is
1: only just catching the ball, immediately shooting, right? Catch and shoot, yeah. Okay. Like
2: when you're a, a spot-up, if you will, okay. if you wanted to call it that. This year, he's shooting 41.7% from three on those on those shots. Mm-hmm. And almost identical, actually, on two-pointers. 41.2 on, on uh, two-point jumpers. A lot of those... Two point jumpers are. In fact, he's taken only 17 of those two point jumpers this year because you really don't you don't want those shots too often in a good right. NBA offense. You don't want to be might as well just sh- take those, those take shots a step back. behind those. Lines. Yeah, exactly. He's taken 84 three point attempts from catch and shoot. Only 17. Uh, Total two-point attempts, and he's shooting over forty percent on those threes, which is a really good number. Like yeah. that's that's excellent, that's elite stuff, and that's what you you, you want to see things like that. And last year, there was a lot of worry about whether where his shooting stroke had gone, and whether or not he could maintain the sort of shooting without just having a lot of them be wide open. Now that you know Al Jefferson was gone and Paul Millsap was gone, and he wasn't getting as many wide open looks. I've been really encouraged by everything we've seen from Gordon this year. It's really hard to point to an area where where you know for the money that we're paying him and so on and so forth where you'd expect him to specifically be better, right? Right. Do you, do you have the drive numbers on
1: Hayward, by the way? I do. Because uh, I'm curious. We talked about those for Dante Exum and Trey Burke earlier in the show where Dante only had, I believe it was 1.8 a game. Trey Burke had 7.2. I, I want to know where Gordon Hayward ranks in that and then how good he is at, at – converting those
2: drive opportunities. Okay, so his frequency has been a lot closer to Trey's. He is driving 6.7 times per game, so that's just short of how how frequently Trey Burke is driving to the basket per game. But his efficiency has been significantly better than Trey Burke's. Trey was shooting about 32%, I believe. Gordon is shooting 50, over 54% on all those drives. Gordon is creating for his team, or excuse me, uh, per 48 minutes total, he's creating nearly eight points per 48 minutes which is one of the top 20 numbers in the league of any regulation play, or excuse me a rotation player in the league a guy playing a, you know a moderate number of minutes he's creating over 8 points per game for his team just by his drive so that's going to include plays where he passes out or gets fouled or things like that that aren't necess- where he doesn't score directly himself he's been excellent getting to the hoop and that's been probably my favorite individual improvement i've tweeted this multiple times this season his first step off the or off of his his triple threat position, which for those who don't know is where uh, essentially the basic face up position that a lot of stars will take, where they're holding the ball, they've got their their pivot foot set. They could either go to their to their left, which is their in most cases is going to be the the already the pivot foot, so that'd be a fake, or they could go to their right with their free foot, or they could shoot the ball. Out of those sets, he's been killing guys. Guys can't mm. stick with him on those because he has the ability to lift up and get a good shot off if they're not going to be close enough to him. But if they try and crowd him up, his first step and his long legs is way quicker than guys think it is for being, as we said, maybe not the greatest you know athlete in the NBA. And he's getting by guys and getting into the lane and doing all sorts of damage from there. It's been my favorite thing to see from him so far.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's what's most encouraging, is that he is able to do what you just described. Uh, I'm just... Really interested to see can he take another leap because I do think he's taken a big leap from last season to this season.
2: Is there more room for Hayward to improve? You know, does he make an All Star team later in his career? I think it's entirely possible. A lot of it may have to do with what sort of teammates get put around him and and how the Jazz progress themselves. If you know, if the Jazz, if everything goes according to plan, they get another good draft pick this year. By you know, by the the nearing the end of his of the contract that he excuse me the that he just signed, we could be talking about. A team that's you know competing in the Western Conference it is really tough to make all-star teams and to and to have those types of awards if your team isn't very good right right um I I think absolutely I think there's totally a chance that he's you know I'm not not sure that the shooting numbers are going to get much better than they are but being right here for a guy that does all the other stuff that he does that's great to, to have shooting numbers like this. I mean, the, I think these are pretty similar to LeBron's shooting numbers, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of jump shooting. <laughs> right, room,
1: no, like I, and I'm not saying, obviously, Gordon. you're not saying Gordon Hayward's as good of a player no. as LeBron James,
2: it's just, you know, in terms of shooting, I think that's a reasonable comparison. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think there is some room, some more room for improvement, maybe when he's got, he still is taking a, a, a pretty hefty role in terms of the offense, that he's, his usage has been pretty, do you know what his usage is? Do you have it up? Uh, uh
1: Yeah, it is 24.9%, so that's, oh. Actually, a 2% increase over last year. So that
2: means that, for those who don't know what that stat means, that means that Gordon is using, while he's on the floor, a quarter of the Jazz possessions, roughly, for Mm -hmm. his, for, I believe that's for a shot or assist or turnover, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Now, that's up from last year. And last year, we were worried about whether he had kind of the motor to sustain that sort of thing because a lot of his efficiency went down as his usage went up. And when we get a team that's maybe a little bit slightly more capable around him and maybe his offensive burden lessens a bit, I think this we do have the shell at least of a player who could be a a very good defender because he's long, he's very smart, he doesn't fall for a lot of head fakes and things like that. I I like his potential there as well. Let me put you on the spot for like a 10-word answer. Do you think Gordon Hayward
1: is the most likely Jazz member on the current team to become an All-Star?
2: Yes. I think so
1: too. I do, and I've heard from other members of the Jazz coaching staff and, and this sort of thing, different answers. I think Gordon Hayward's the most likely. Also,
2: because of just how deep the West is with big men, and I would say Derek Favors is second on that list, and it's just going to be really hard for him to crack that, that yeah. list. Yeah, no, I, I totally
1: agree. All right, well, we're running out of time for this hour, but don't worry, Salt City Hoops will be back. We Next hour, we've got uh, Aaron Falk joining us. He's a Salt Lake Tribune beat writer for the Utah Jazz. Uh, he's going to be a good listen to on the show. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
0: Analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.
1: Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson. Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. Welcome to the 8 o'clock hour. We get a little bit more goofy
2: this time. We have some fun. We already had Jimbo running on, though, so
1: it's hard to get more crazy than than Mr. Jimbo. But...
2: We'll make up for it. We'll put some serious stuff in here as well.
1: Aaron Falk is is an underratedly hilarious character, by it's the way. True. he de- He doesn't show it all the time. He likes to stay professional out there, which, you know, good for the man's career. That's yeah, what you got to do. But, uh, you know, behind the scenes, Aaron is absolutely one of the funniest people in, in jazz land. Aaron, are you there with us?
4: <laughs> I, I am. I am being completely unfunny for <laughs> you. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, now I've completely raised everybody's expectations, and I <laughs> I sincerely apologize.
4: Have fun with yeah, that. Yeah, no worries.
1: So, there's a lot to talk about in Jazzland, and we'll get to that in a second, but first I kind of wanted to ask you some, like, beat writer-y questions, because, you know, a lot of people think of this as their dream job, right? Like, ama- imagine how amazing it would be to go around the world and follow, the I guess, uh, the nation, Follow the Utah Jazz and and write about basketball all day and, and that sort of thing. But first, I guess I'll start with the negatives. What's the worst part about being a beat writer?
4: Oh, um, you know, you know, it's because it, because it is a, a mixed bag here. But the travel, I, I think, is and then I, I I try not to say this too much because it just comes across as like you said, it just comes across awful sounding. But the travel can wear on you. I think, you know, it's that, uh, it, it, it's great. It's, it's, amazing. You're in New York city, you got to go to Toronto. And the way you get there is you wake up at three in the morning, you know, Eastern time and you catch a flight and you feel awful. That, that, that sort of a thing, you know, in, in the middle of winter kind of catches up to you. I, I to me, I think that is, it, it just takes so much more of a toll physically on your body than I anticipated. Also, because I'm, Horribly out of shape, don't do any of the other things I need to do as a just a regular human being. Uh, I I admit that, but you know, it's just after a while. You know, I'm I'm not on this current road trip right now. Tony Jones is, and I'm extremely grateful in many ways for it.
1: Well, I was going to say it's not like Tony or Jody are especially in shape either. Yeah,
4: yeah, we would be the worst Olympic team ever.
2: so alright so Aaron, I'm one of the Andy started that off with you know this is for a lot of people kind of a dream job I'm one of those people I would totally I have made romanticize this job massively in my head so if you will please continue that for me and tell me what's the best part about being a beat writer uh, aside from the obvious stuff like you get to talk to really tall people all the time and get to have really good seats get really good seats for every time you get neck pain exactly you know and have great seats every time LeBron comes to town and things like that like besides that what's like an everyday thing about about it, that maybe sometimes goes underappreciated to the general public.
4: Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that's that's really cool about it is kind of the the camaraderie that exists among beat writers. Um, just the you know, it, it, maybe it's just because there are so few people in the world that really get general this genuinely excited about Delta Sky Miles and Marriott points, <laughs> and uh, you know. T- debating the ins and outs and, and the pros and cons of staying at, at this hotel, in, you know, this part of the, of a city versus another. But I, I think there really is, um, for the most part, you know, while, while it's very competitive, once you're sort of in the club, I mean, people, you know, doors open up in, in a lot of ways, and people are very, very kind. And, and um, you know, there have been a lot of great people doing this. Um, and, and, you know, again, not because I don't want to come across completely – whiny about about the travel it, it, it is incredible still you know like you have to check yourself i think as, as most people do when they get you know in the middle of any type of work but you have to look around sometimes and, and just think wow this is, this is absolutely incredible that i'm that i'm here um you know this is this is what i'm doing for work right now uh, it, it's not something i i set out to do in my career but um you know as i sit around you know look at in the arena every night and i i you know Develop these relationships with people, and and it's it's you know it's just a really really great adventure. I don't I don't want to come across as, as just a complete jerk. So.
1: <laughs> Do you have like a favorite moment? You know, maybe behind the scenes that's happened uh, with you as far as being a beat writer thus
4: far. You know, I, I'm not nothing. There's not. I know. I'm like as soon as as soon as we're done here, there's something as genius that's going to pop <laughs> in my mind. Something <laughs> very hilarious. Um, but you know, I I think like. Things that, that stick out to me in my mind are, you know, really that first road trip and, and, uh, um, it was preseason last year and, and being in LA with, with, one of my good friends, uh, Bill Oren, who did this job before me and, and, just kind of, you know, talking about kind of how amazing, you know, the, the opportunity was. Um, and then, and then just kind of, again, the, the people you cross paths with, like, you're, you're sitting around in a press room and, and you're like, oh, that's Jay Adonde, that's Zach Lowe, you know, Dominique Wilkins eating a plate of spaghetti in front of a picture of Dominique Wilkins. It's not a normal thing, you know, like those, those types of things are, are, are pretty awesome when you can, you know, pull back and have a little perspective on
2: it. That's, that's really cool. so you, you mentioned just during that sentence, you've been, you've been doing this since the beginning of last season. Is that when you you came on the jazz beat?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Bill, uh, was, was on it for a season. He got the job in, um, Orange County. And I, I was doing it at the time I was, um, writing about recovering RSL. And uh, I remember I was walking to work right past the arena, actually, right at, right at the statues when Bill, that jerk, called me and told me he was uh, <laughs> leaving. And, and um, that, you know, I, I knew, I'd knew i known he was considering it and that, that if he did in fact go, uh, this would be my job. So it was kind of of a, a strange and and but, but very cool
2: moment as well that well you partially answered my what my follow-up question was going to be there which was going to ask you kind of what was what was the road to that how did you I mean how did you enter journalism for some of the aspiring journalists out there myself very much included how did uh, how did this path kind of start for you and you, you mentioned earlier you didn't necessarily see you know being a an NBA beat writer necessarily in your future when did that start to become something that you were like you know wow I, I might have a chance to do this
4: yeah, so I, you know, it, 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 took a little while. I, I started out covering, um, you know, crime, city hall, things like that, uh, you know, much more on the news side of, of it. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I mean, a year to, I guess two years ago now that I, I had an opportunity to cover, um, any sort of sports. And I, you know, I, I did high school at RSL and, and then it opened up. And I, I would say, you know, you guys, like the real basketball junkies have such an advantage in many ways. Um, you have your knowledge of the game. I, I will not ashamed for you know, vastly superior to mine at, at this point. And I'm trying to learn these things kind of on the fly still. Um, I, I would say for people that want to do this, you know, that, that's, that's great. And and then the other, um, thing to learn is just the general reporting side of it that I, I think, I think helps me in, in, in a number of ways, just, um, knowing how to approach certain things uh you know knowing the how to how to write a kind of try to at least i, I hope in my mind at least write a story that's you know engaging in, in in a way and kind of show a human side of things in addition to um the x's and o's uh that type of a thing so i, I think you know i'm, I'm coming in from it from a completely different way and I'm, I'm hoping to get to where you are frankly um you know in terms of I'm hoping that sort of knowledge. But well, you know, I'm hoping think, to get to where you are. <laughs> yeah, see, well, and uh, there we go. I mean, I, you know, I think it's uh, you know uh, maybe you know we're you know if we could just combine forces somehow, Ben, we could just be one human being.
2: Um, we're gonna need, need to talk bad. about this. We're gonna need to talk about this some more later on. The, the cloning three, three-legged, possibilities.
4: Three, three-legged races. <laughs> and, um, writing stories will be great. All
1: right, last last question along this line of reasoning. I guess it's kind of a segue question. Who's your favorite person to interview on this on this Utah Jazz team?
2: Coaches included. A
4: player, a player? Oh, coaches included. Um, you know, Quinn Quinn has been really good. Um, but I'll say honestly, right now it's it's Steve Novak, and I don't get an opportunity to do it. You know, as much as as I would if if he were obviously regular in the rotation. Um, and I, I just think that you know, one he's – he's my age. So, <laughs> yeah. so maybe, maybe we have a little bit more uh, of a relation there, but you know, he's, he's been around enough teams and seen different things that I, I think that's extremely helpful. Went from, from my perspective, um, to have someone who knows that things are different in other places. You know what I mean? That you can, because we all like to make these comparisons with players in, in different scenarios. And he's actually lived that a lot more than, than really anyone else on that team right now. Um, and he can say, you know, compared to my like, time in Toronto or New York, whereas Gordon, you know, he can he can now, and Gordon is is a fine interview, especially I think when you come with with some, you know, direct and and you know better than just you know what are the keys to the game type question. Right. Um, he, he's a he's a good interview, but he really only knows, you know, he he knows different regimes within this team, but he doesn't know, you know, how things are done in different franchises, that sort of thing. So. I, that, that perspective, that's, that's why I really liked Richard Jefferson last year in the locker room. Um, and, and, you know, I think the, the other those other guys are young. They're finding their voice. Gordon's been a lot better of, of an interview this year. Uh, I think the same true of Derek favors. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's to be expected when you're kind of, you know, 23 years old and, thrown, and you know, you're barely finding your, your voice in, in the world. But, you know, so it's, I, I think – I think no pack is, but you know those guys. Those guys are coming along, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, f- so from
1: my perspective, I mean, I'm in the locker room too, and I, I, my answer to this question is Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor, and even though they have their okay. ticks, you know, Trey Burke definitely says, absolutely after every question, and and Ennis and, Cantor says and, and definitely. Absolutely says definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, they have their quirks, but Trey Burke gives really interesting answers, X's and O's wise. That kind of reveals what's going out on, on the floor. And then you know, I'll watch a tape and kind of see what he was talking about. And then Enes Kanter is just like a fun guy to talk to about, you know, whether it be Turkish barbers or whatever it is. I- even if he's running into me in the locker room, he's still a lot of fun.
4: True, uh, and and that both both great points. I I. I have a working theory that Ennis is the only player on that team that knows my name. (laughs) Um, And, and I do, I do find Trey interesting for, for some of those same reasons, especially because Trey, you know, when things, when things aren't going really well this year, he's been on the honest side, I think, you know, like there, there was, when he wasn't getting help on health defense, he actually, he said something, whereas a lot of guys would just say, you know, we're going to clean things up. And, you know, I don't think he necessarily wants to throw anyone under the bus, but he, you know, I, I, we, from my, from, for me, I appreciate when someone's being honest in that way, and and you can get a little bit more insight, you know, into what was going on.
2: Absolutely, and you mentioned, uh, we talked about. Quinn Snyder a little bit, and this is this is a bit of a question for both you guys because both of you that are on this station currently, except for me, get to get a chance to talk to these guys pretty frequently. And and this is also something we talked to Jody about when we had him on a little while back. And and I think you gave your answer, Andy, but maybe things have changed in the last couple of months. How does how does Quinn compare with someone like Ty Corbin? And we're gonna get into Ty Corbin in a little bit because he was just recently hired for another head coaching job. But how does how does talking to them in the locker room, press conferences, the occasional times you get one on one. Sessions with them, Aaron. Why don't you, Why don't you go first, and then we'll get Andy's thought after that.
3: Sure.
4: Well, I think first of all, Kai. When you When you got him one on one without a microphone, you know, a recorder in his face, um, just on the side, really, really great guy, a- and and pretty thoughtful, and and could talk, uh, would talk, I should say, about um, some elements of the game that he just absolutely did not want to talk about on the record, even. You know, even very simple things that he, that basically any, anyone that is watching the game knows. You know, you talk about pick and rolls, you talk about wanting to get more corner three pointers, which just just kind of these at this point you can get kind of generalities, right? Uh, for for any any offense, and he would shut down almost almost entirely. And, and he, you know, I watched his first interview, uh, you know, in Sacramento the other night, and I'm like, outside of them. You know, outside of his answer about coaching in a walking booth, I've sat through this this interview, you know, dozens of times last year. Um, it, it's a lot of, of really, really general, it is what it is, we're going to get better um, types of things. And, and and I he's obviously a uh, much, you know, more thoughtful and, and intelligent guy than, than those quotes go on. But when he came to dealing with, with press, um, and especially on the record, just, you know, wouldn't give you anything.
1: Yeah, I, I found the same thing. And, and you know, I was asking kind of those more X's and O's questions because, again, that's that's kind of what we try to do at Salt City Hoops is, is dig into these sort of in, insider points of view that you can't get, you know, from a larger general publication like the Salt Lake Tribune. Hopefully you can, you know, dig into it a little bit more with a longer column and, and more room to go into like we can at Salt City Hoops. And videos. And, and video and exactly that sort of thing. And, and Ty was not the right sort of coach for that, just because he did give such generic answers and was so reticent to even say things like how the Jazz were guarding the pick and roll, um, something that like Zach Lowe, for example, noted in on his podcast when um, he tried to ask Quinn or tried to ask Ty those sort of questions.
4: Mm-hmm. Quinn Snyder, that was, that was right next to him in Brooklyn when that happened. Oh really? That was, that was a little awkward.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, and. Quinn Snyder, to his immense credit, is not that way. You know, he seems legitimately excited to kind of share these things for the umpteenth time with the viewing public because he kind of wants to have everybody know what exactly the Jazz are doing. I mean, I I think that's why they did the media training camp with us. And, you know, remember the summer league uh, scrimmage they had, Quinn actually went into like, these kind of X's and O's of what the Jazz wanted to do with these like, 10,000 fans, probably half of whom couldn't care less. you know? And that sort of perspective, I think, re- has really helped Quinn Snyder and at least for me covering him and covering the Utah Jazz.
4: Uh, and, and, and that has to help Quinn Snyder, like the product, right? Because he can be better understood by people who are, who are paying to watch his team right now lose a lot more than they're going to win. But if, if he can come across and, and paint a picture of what, you know, what his plan is and, and get into some specifics and, and kind of, you know, show people, hey, I've got a vision here, that, that, that helps him, that helps the team, that helps his dad. I, I think, you know, it, it, part of, the, you know, basketball is – the basketball is obviously what people are coming to see, but it's also a show, right? Like this doesn't exist in a vacuum without, you know, people – get making some sort of entertainment value out of this and then i think i think quinn and the jazz are very smart to open that up and that, that's just kind of the guy quinn is right now i mean he's not right now but but that's who he is he's a guy who wants to teach he wants to share this information and, and he's been very very open this year and i, I know i only had one year of ty corbin uh, and it obviously was a difficult year and, and he knew that going in i i couldn't tell you if that was different in in the prior years although from from what i understand it was Large of the same, so uh, a breath of fresh air in terms of you know, as, as someone who is writing about this and and you know trying to trying to call these answers and responses for eighty two games and a lot of them in you know when people are frustrated after after losses, so it's been uh, been a very very nice change in, in that regard. at least. Yeah, let me ask
1: you actually a little about that streak and get into the basketball side. You know, what do you see as the reason for the? performance over the last 14 games. I mean, is it the coaching? Is it the system not working? Is it the players not being good enough? I mean, what's going on out there that you see on the the floor that's kind of causing this 2-12 streak? Because, you know, I I think a lot of Jazz fans thought that this sort of streak wouldn't happen this season.
4: Yeah, it's uh, right. I think maybe that preseason especially gave gave us uh, all of us watching a little bit of a false impression of what was what was to come. But, um, you know, I, I when I look at it, I, I don't know that I, I do say any one specific thing. It, it seems like it's one, it, maybe not one different thing, but, but every game there's just, just a matter of, you know, Alec Burke has a terrible fourth quarter the other night in New Orleans and, you know, that derails one, one of their better games in, in weeks. Right. Um, it's, it's, Losing a guy for a couple of games. There, there's so many different things. I, I don't know that it's that it's any one thing. Um, and, and you know, it's also that these these other teams are are better. They're they're more mature. They've been through these things together for longer. Um, and and I guess I guess we should have known when when Dennis he said he was doubling down on you that there were going to be maybe even more growing pains in the world. I think myself included that because I I thought this team was going to win around thirty. 30 games this year, uh, you know, a little blinded by by, uh, my my own expectations for what we were going to
2: see. And then, I mean, there have been a few negative things, but I think especially in the past week, and even including that New Orleans game, which, as you say, ended really badly, and they they kind of threw away a game they should have had, there have been some positives as well. Is there a biggest one for you, something that you've been most encouraged about? I mean, on,
4: on the season, I'll say this, and I'm sure, I apologize, I'm sure you guys have talked about this before, but but just just gordon um that's the it's probably the worst like surprise and or or you know positive that that i could pick but i i just say it because when you look at last year i mean if gordon had come in and could not wasn't doing what he's doing now if he came in and was just you know doing exactly what he did last year i mean we would have all said you know there's precedent for this this is who he is this is you know, I don't think that it could have necessarily been a I mean, total shock for people, but he's made such a great leap forward um, that you finally, I think, feel like this team does have someone that they can really, truly build around, um, whether he's a one or, or a number two option going forward. And I, I think his play, um, Rudy Gobert, coming, you know, and, and getting some some extra minutes and and showing everyone what, what he can do when he gets the extended run. And then Ennis, Ennis turning a corner because he seemed very lost um, early on this season. And it seems like, you know, Quinn Snyder mentioned that he coached him up very hard. Um, and, and I think for a guy at Ennis' position, maybe that wasn't the easiest thing to take um, from the beginning. But he seems to have really turned a corner. And those, those three things right there, you know, are, are definitely my biggest bright spots right now.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, we we got to go ahead and wrap up. But Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. That was a really perceptive conversation, and, and you know, probably more like inside basketball than you may be used to as a, <laughs> as a beat writer. But I, you know, I, I think it was a really cool perspective for us to have.
4: Yeah, no, no worries. Next time, I'll have jokes prepared. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. So uh, that's that's
2: Aaron Falk, guys. You can follow him on Twitter at trib jazz so real simple and there's no aaron Falk in there it's actually just yeah. trib jazz nice and easy um, and i definitely recommend that you do so he's in terms of any team news uh injuries whatever your updates are that you need he's going to be one of the first three people to have it him tony and and jody essentially are generally going to be some of the first people to have any stuff like that so he's a great follow
1: yeah I totally agreed um Got a couple minutes here, and I just want to bring up the Ty Corbin thing that we were talking about with Aaron, because it is such big NBA news. So, you know, in case you don't follow the NBA, you're just listening to the show. Sacramento Kings fired their head coach, Mike Malone, this Saturday evening at 11 o'clock p.m. Mountain time, kind of an unusual time to make a coach move, Mm -hmm. um, especially as the team was overachieving. And uh, so fired Mike Malone. Put in Ty Corbin as their interim head coach. There are rumors as to who they could be looking at replacing him and whether or not that'll happen during this season or during the off season. What are your brief thoughts on the move?
2: Um, you know my thoughts don't actually relate too much to Ty himself I think he'll I think he'll do uh, as as fine of a job as, as could be expected for something that I don't think he was expecting to have to do this year at all right is be the head coach of that team right. for me the larger the, the issues that are spoken to here are that I, I think that that does signal that some things are maybe going a little haywire in Sacramento's front office they have a, they've had a new owner for the last couple of years Vivek Ranadive um, who has been very vocal about wanting to be extremely forward thinking wanting to try certain goofy things like four on five defense which is just complete lunacy There's absolutely no <laughs> I love chance it, it would work like all you need is a, a a basic geometry class to teach you why that would never <laughs> ever ever work in the nba but and i want to see it in the nba i want to five see five on
1: four for a significant number of possessions yeah, because whatever. i am pro fun uh, yeah, i mean it you, would ben. be
2: fun but it would be yeah um <laughs> and and just I mean so they 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 hired Mike Malone at the beginning of last season. So as a comparison here, imagine if we were sitting at about three days ago next year, and the Jazz fired Quint Snyder. I, I don't know that there is any situation. I don't know that if the Jazz won ten games between now and that time, that that would happen. Yeah. That I just I think that it's it's kind of in a way ludicrous. To hire a guy and bring him on as the the sort of the face there, and they all the news going around is how they you know, and the people speculating on is how they hired him before they hired the rest of their front office, the new front office, which is silly. Like why are you gonna (laughs) do that? Because then the rest of the front office came in and had certain ideological differences with Malone, and then all of a sudden Malone's the scapegoat and he's the one who's out the door, despite the fact that. You know Sacramento was on a rough run recently, and they cited that as like a one of the well, reasons. Well, the Marcus Cousins is ex- hurt. Exactly, they've got a, a guaranteed All Star superstar player. Been you know at the start of the year was absolutely an MVP candidate. Who's who's been hurt for the last like twelve games or, or sick, something? Sick, really. Like That's the right thing sick, to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not on the court essentially. And of course they weren't doing that well. This is a team that finished nearly dead last in the West last year, and that was with this guy. And right. now they were they were playing. Great, and he went out for a bit. I think it's really weird on Sacramento's part I hope Ty does well I hope the best for him I think they've got a fun roster over there but they're trying to get him to play fast that was another one of the main reasons that they said for firing Malone in the first place is they want to play a more up-tempo game Ty Corbin's not that coach first of all Ty Corbin's not that coach second of all that roster is not that roster like that team is just not meant to do DeMarcus Cousins is maybe the single player in the league who is least (laughs) suited to playing that sort of a style that's a good point yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. But great, best of luck to Ty, and and you know, congratulations on getting another position so quickly.
1: Yeah, that being said, I don't think your front office or ownership is very smart.
2: <laughs> and, yeah, that too. And you know, you know, ne- the original report, the original reports were, oh, we're going to keep, he's going to be for the whole year. And then a few minutes later, it was like, no, maybe that's not. Maybe they're going to hire George Carl in ten minutes. Like, <laughs> you, you have no idea what's going on. I hope the best for Ty. Definitely. Anything could happen with the
1: Sacramento Kings. All right, well, we're going to continue going around the NBA. Uh, we've got some injury news that happened today uh, with the Golden State warriors and of course the milwaukee bucks we'll talk about as well Uh, we had some excellent games on tv last night we'll talk about barclays center got a little bit leaky and of course everybody's favorite segment lol lakers where we all laugh at how the
0: lakers are doing this season you're listening to salt city hoops on espn 700 you're listening to salt city hoops on utah's number one sports talk espn 700
1: Alright, welcome back into the show. I'm Andy Larson. You can follow me at Andy B. Larson. Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. His Twitter name is at Ben underscore Dowsett. Of course, you can join us on the show anytime by calling in 877 and We'll get your opinion on the NBA here on the show. You can also tweet us, and we'll read your tweets live on the air. We just had Aaron Falk on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. He gave us kind of the inside perspective on what it's like to be a beat writer in the NBA, as well as his thoughts on the Utah Jazz's performance thus far. But it's time to go around the league. First of all, we've got some bad injury news that happened this week. Uh, I think the biggest one is Jabari Parker. Tore his ACL, was an ugly injury. Um... Looks like he will be out. So he'll be out definitely this season. From the doctors who have looked at his charts and things, people are saying that it may be optimistic for him to be coming back by the end of, sorry, by the beginning of next season. Oh, wow. So, I
2: hadn't actually seen that part. I kind of just assumed he'd be back for the beginning of
1: next. Boy, that's uh, And, of course, with the ACL tear, there's also, like, the recovery time and right. stuff. Uh, it's such a bummer because he was, you know, definitely the leading favorite for Rookie of the Year, you know, 20 games into the season.
2: Well, that plus my, I don't mean to in any way take joy in anyone else's pain, but that plus the uh, Rondo trade today, which is going to elevate Marcus Smart to potentially a larger rollover in Boston might make me look smart because I picked Smart. To win the Rookie of the Year award. So, okay. So bright light. Uh, yeah. Silver lining on this is that um, is that I might be right about something inconsequential. <laughs> so <laughs> congratulations. I hope Jabari's listening to this and that that makes you feel better. But, oh, no, it I'm doesn't. Just, I'm totally joking. Jabari's going to hate you from here on out. Yeah. I- I'm definitely joking. This is, you never want to see this sort of thing, especially with a guy who has a you know a real shot at being a superstar. And hopefully this doesn't derail that shot. Um, and uh, I you hope that he's young and that he can you know recover from it fully and be at least what he was going forward.
1: In injury news today, Andrew Bogut also had uh, platelet-rich therapy done on his knee. Um, That's getting him out indefinitely. So it kind of depends on what you think about indefinitely. Obviously, the Warriors would like to have him for the playoffs. How big...
2: How big a loss is this for Golden State? How important is Bogut to the Warriors? It's a it's a pretty big loss, and you know they're going to be fine for the regular season. the The gap that they've got right now on teams is that even if they have a, a, a loss or two, they're probably not going to be finishing lower than what probably third in the West with how far mm-hmm. of a, ahead they've gotten themselves already. And they've got a great team outside that, and they've they've got a team that's literally built to beat up on crappy teams despite missing guys like Bogut occasionally. And even if they were to miss a few games with Steph or miss a few games with Clay type of thing. I think they'll still be fine for that sort of thing. But come playoff time, if he's not back and uh, and really able to contribute, you get into the playoffs when a team has more time. As I said earlier on the broadcast, a team has more time to very specifically scout their one opponent rather than having to you know spend 24 hours scouting someone after you just got finished with another game. You pretty much have a week or more to focus on this team. I think they'll have some trouble without Bogut because he is their guy. That I mean, I think he was the favorite for Defensive Player of the Year before he went down, personally. Yeah, um, I,
1: I think that's right. I mean, just to give you a stat on this, when Andrew Bogut's on the floor, uh, the Warriors are 19 points per 100 possessions better than when he's off the floor. When he's wow. off the floor, they're only five points better. That's Sorry.
2: a pretty huge discrepancy. Like, yeah, so um,
1: when, when Bogut's on the floor, the Warriors are – incredibly elite when he's on the floor when he's off the floor they're only merely very good I also they're only two games out of the fourth spot so despite winning 16 games in a row they could they're still only two games uh, they're only half game ahead of Memphis and then two games ahead of both Houston and Portland so maybe I'm um, off a bit. So, maybe this
2: could damage them now if he, you know, if he has to miss a couple of months.
1: Yeah, in my mind, I think it does. I think that gives takes away a couple of wins from them. You could see them slide down the standings, maybe into that fourth or fifth seed in in the Western Conference final uh, Western Conference playoffs. It'll be interesting to see how much they slide, or you know, whether or not they do. We had some excellent games last night, um, especially with the Memphis Grizzlies. They've put on a streak that no team has done since 2000 period 2000 2001 was I think it, was it? 01. Uh, when the Milwaukee Bucks beat first of all a team that was at the top of the Western Conference it was plus the Jazz then excellent thank you and when the Jazz were good and the uh, last year's defending champions in back-to-back games so that's a huge accomplishment for the Memphis Grizzlies they are 20 and 4 uh, what do you think about Memphis are they for real oh, Absol- yeah
2: they're 100% for real. This is I mean, you talk about continuity and that's this is that's part of what made has made the Spurs so excellent over so many years is that they've just got guys that have I mean, it's like symbiosis them playing together these days and Memphis is getting to that point. They've got their key players on that team have been together for multiple seasons now. Mike Conley has truly come into his own as the the perennial underrated player in the NBA. Like he's yeah. the, the, this is one of the best point guards in the league that we never talk about because he doesn't have flash and he doesn't have Kyrie's crazy acrobatic finishes at the hoop and whatnot, but as a two-way, plays both ends, can damage you with his shooting range, all of it, Mike Conley is just an awesome player. I really wish the Jazz had a guy like Mike Conley. Better. And, so better than, like, you think Mike Conley is better than Kyrie Irving? In a vacuum, I would take Mike Conley over Kyrie Irving. I would too. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm and, just, like, making you say it on the air. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and Marcus Gasol is a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate all the time when he's healthy. And that game last night was Awesome. I didn't get to watch it live, but I came back and was scrolling back through my Twitter timeline and saw, you know, people freaking out <laughs> about this game, so I figured, well, I better go back and at least watch the fourth quarter and on, which is what I did. I went and started from the fourth quarter. The fourth, the end of the fourth quarter, the end of the first overtime and the end of the second overtime all contained multiple ridiculous shots from both teams with either very little time left on the clock or completely ludicrous leaners. Marcus Saul hit one at the end of regulation, a three-pointer. First of all, he definitely traveled, but it was still <laughs> it was still an awesome shot. Hater. A banked-in three as time expired to tie the game. The game that was an awesome game. It was one of the best I've seen and it would have been even better if Tony Parker had been playing for San Antonio. Yeah. I would watch that playoff series 10 times out of 10. I know some people might think of that as slightly boring, like two smaller market teams too. With with Memphis, at least they've always been a more defensive oriented team, kind of a grind it out type of deal. I love that sort of stuff. I'd watch that. Those teams play as many times as possible. It was so much fun.
1: Yeah. So that's Spurs Grizzlies. Check it out on ESPN.com. The highlights, or if you've got NBA league pass, check it out there. So you can watch the full game like Ben did. Um, Barclays Center had an interesting problem yesterday as well, where they actually the ceiling started leaking. Well, that, was it
2: two days ago when Miami was there?
1: Yeah, sorry. Anyway, Semantics. recently, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so they had to bring out these trash cans on the court, suspend play until the ceiling could be fixed. I I just think that it's funny that this brand new arena in the heart of New York, with over literally over a billion dollar stadium, has just a leak in the ceiling that causes basketball games not to be able to play, be played there.
2: Mikhail's not paying his bills on time. Mikhail? Prokhorov? Or did uh, he sell? Yes, yes, oh, yes. right. Yes, what yes, am yes. I talking about? No, Prokhorov.
1: About. No, you're right. I just never think of Prokhorov's first name because I don't know. I don't read it that often. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, true. No, I, th- I thought it was pretty funny actually. Yeah, you don't see stuff like that every day, especially yeah, now, as you say, in a new billion-dollar arena.
1: Right, like when the Mexico City Arena caught fire last year. You know, that was like a one-time event. It's Mexico City. You know, they're not used to NBA games happening at their facility. When the Barclays Center springs a leak, it's
2: a little bit funny. Yeah, it is pretty funny. And speaking of funny. You know who else are funny is the LOL Lakers. Yes, the Los Angeles Lakers. It's Andy's favorite segment of each week. Which Sadly, they have a better record than the Utah Jazz at this point. That does not mean we can't laugh about them. In no way does it mean that uh, because, and this is something we were discussing during the break, is that we get the best of both worlds here. Either the Lakers are not as good as the Jazz and we can laugh about how their team containing a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer isn't better than our team of a bunch of 24-year-olds, or if they're better than us, all likelihood points to them giving up their pick because for those who aren't aware and who haven't heard on recent weeks, if the Lakers finish outside the fifth pick, their top, their pick this year is protected within the top five, but if they finish sixth or worse, they're not getting that pick. That pick goes to Phoenix, and it would be really, really funny to see the Lakers send like the seventh pick to Phoenix because Kobe Bryant needed to shoot them into a couple more wins in December and January. It would it w- be great.
1: It would be hilarious. It would be mortgaging their future, not even mortgaging, just losing their future, because
2: you know Kobe Bryant got his exactly, and speaking of Kobe Bryant getting his, we do have to offer some congratulations—not in any sarcastic way. In fact, for Co- to Kobe Bryant for passing Michael Jordan on the all-time points list, which he accomplished in between our last broadcast and now. I don't remember exactly what day it was. I think it was over the weekend.
1: It, it only took him two more seasons.
2: Yeah, it only took him two extra. Maybe seasons. Maybe a little bit some more
1: sarcastic. You
2: underestimate okay, my little. Kobe hate. I did. I really did. And he's only you know like five thousand points behind Karl Malone. So um, that's and right. I, I am going to register my own personal. Uh, not displeasure, but just kind of non-caring for these sorts of things. I, I, this it's arbitrary. Honestly, the number of points that Michael Jordan scored exactly in his career <laughs> is completely arbitrary. How many of those points were scored for the Washington Wizards? Like that's yeah. who cares that's about point. those points? Like who cares about the points Kobe's scoring right now? They're not doing anything for his team. We care about points that are scored in the pursuit of championships and. Nobody has a stat for that specifically, so I don't really care that much about who's playoff points. Exactly. Like I don't, I don't care who's first on the overall points list. But congratulations on the achievement.
1: I do. I, I think the career accomplishment's a
2: big deal, and it means, it, of course, it signals certain things. It means you've had a ton of longevity. It means you've been around for a really long time and been able to do it at a consistently high level that whole time. That is, that is part of what made a guy like Karl Malone special is how long he was able to consistently perform at an elite level for. So I'll give you that much. That's that's impressive in that in that vein.
1: But Reggie Miller did have something interesting to say on, on this. I I thought this quote was hilarious, by the I, way.
2: I thought it was both hilarious and and even as someone who's not Kobe's hugest fan, wildly off base. This was <laughs> Reggie Miller, I believe, yesterday on the Dan Patrick Show. If I'm not, It may have been the day before. I apologize if I have the day wrong. Miller, Michael Jordan on his worst day is ten times better than Kobe Bryant on his best day. And that's not shortchanging Kobe Bryant because he gave me my lunch pail too. But Michael Jordan on his worst day, I will take over Kobe Bryant on his best day. Um, do you know how I feel about this?
1: Chris Webber on his worst day is ten times better than Reggie Miller on his best day. <laughs> Reggie Miller is a terrible commentator. No, he really
2: is. He's he's god awful. I have no problem saying that on the air whatsoever. I I think that... Steve Kerr is fifteen times better. Oh yeah, I, I think... we should do a ranking of color commentators sometime. Is there anyone that Reggie would be higher than John Barry? <laughs> He'd be higher than John Barry. He'd be higher than John Barry. Other than that, I don't know that there's anybody. The guy is terrible. I don't know how you <laughs> can have been that good at playing the game. And actually, you know, Reggie, was. he's always been a well-spoken yeah. sort of ambassador for it's the game. It's not like
1: he's bad at saying words. No, he's just is saying
2: the wrong words. Exactly. He's, he's just
1: wrong about so many things that he says. For example, this Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan thing.
2: Yeah. Like, you, you know, I bet you I could go back on basketball reference and find Michael Jordan's worst game. I bet you I could find <laughs> that. And I bet you it was really, really bad. And I bet you Kobe Bryant's best game, like that time he scored 81 points against Toronto in a single game, was, nice. was probably better than that one time Michael Jordan <laughs> scored like six points in a game or something yeah. like that. I'm guessing it was a little bit better, right? But, like, what a <laughs> stupid thing to say. Like, I just, I, and that to me actually ties into a bit of everybody. Michael Jordan was the best player ever, and I'm not debating that, probably by a decent bit but we really like to romanticize michael jordan's career sometimes yeah. and i, I, I at he times was human. he yeah i mean the guy was he was awesome he was we may never see anything like him again but it's not like he was an alien who did things that that are completely impossible in the world he was just better at doing them more consistently than everybody else and he was a champion he won he knew how to do it when it mattered and won championships and he gets the title of best nba player but he doesn't get the title of being better than another you know top 15 player of all time on his best day on jordan's worst day like, Right. that's, that's losing.
1: nor 10 times better and i I get hyperbole we engage in it too sometimes on the show but i think that went a little bit too far yeah all right well let's go ahead and take another break on the next segment we've got some fun things to talk about you had a success in fantasy football that we want to share with everybody Boom. and uh we'll look forward to the next two weeks of utah jazz schedule you're listening to salt city hoops on espn 700
0: talking hoops and the association this is salt city hoops on espn 700
1: Welcome back into the show. I'm Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett. We are from Salt City Hoops, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. In case you haven't checked us out, we're basically covering the Utah Jazz each and every day on saltcityhoops.com, going in-depth with analysis and stuff. And sometimes, for example, funny Derek Favors happening. So this week's Pets in the City magazine featured Derek Favors on the cover holding two of his dogs in... Um, just some quotes from the cover to give you a little bit of color, if you will. Quote-unquote, Utah Jazz player Derek Favors at home with his dogs. a smiling Derek Favors with the dogs in the front ground. Uh, then you've got considerations when getting a horse. Why are my dog's eyes cloudy? And do you speak Dog. Are <laughs>
2: do, do you speak dog,
1: Derek? So, and, and I have to say that there are also like 18 different fonts on this news, on this magazine's cover. So That's check it awesome. out. It's on my timeline at Andy B. Larson. It's also on Aaron Falk's timeline. He had it first, I believe, on at Trib Jazz.
2: Has anyone, in, a, in finding like a good moment, like maybe after the win last night or something, do you have any idea if anyone has asked him? Derek. <laughs> about this? Yeah, like some specific, like, Derek, do you speak dog? <laughs> do you think anyone's asked him that?
1: I think he would be confused. I, I wonder if this is a calculated PR ca- PR campaign by his PR manager to, to put Derek Favors in a positive light amongst the denizens of Salt Lake by putting him in Pets in the City magazine.
2: Entirely possible.
1: The other thing I want to talk about before we get into the schedule a little bit is your fantasy football success. Yes. When someone wins uh, the we
2: won't say we won't Signific- say the amount no the i want
1: to know the amount Ugh. because well okay you don't know the amount but give me a range cuz you have one more game left to play you're in your fantasy football league's finals you could make anywhere between
2: Anywhere between nine hundred and thirteen hundred dollars. That is so much money in a fantasy football league. It's a lot, and I I play for entirely too much money, which <laughs> makes it which makes it matter entirely too much, which is ridiculous. But but that's uh,
1: where the fan smarts come into play. That you you show so consistently on Salt City Hoops and on this very radio show. You can use your smarts to beat the competition, win money
2: you're you're living the dream totally living the dream and you're going down kevin butler i'm taking you (laughs) out um yeah you know it's it's always fun it makes watching the games a little more entertaining and everything like that there are times because in pre i've played in this this size of a league also last year uh, and this is actually a league that i run i'm the commissioner of it oh that's why now now your victories are seeming a little bit more skeptical i I am entirely impartial and you can ask anyone (laughs) in my league i've run it for five straight years and it's been impartial every year and it's great and and i did the 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 buying in The same size last year, which is far too large, and I I ended up finishing fourth. I made the playoffs and was the only person in the playoffs to not make any money, uh, which was pretty depressing. And at that point, you start wondering to yourself, why do I play for this much money? And so I'm really glad that things have gone a little bit better this week. But and
1: despite your loss last year, you still did it again this I year. Did because and I'm stupid. look at you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: And so go, Matt Stafford and Marshawn Lynch and Oh wow, Emmanuel Sanders and whatnot. Let's do it, guys. Uh, yeah. Moving we- on to other more <laughs> important things. No, I just wanted to embarrass you slash congratulate you on the show for your
1: fantasy football prowess. Oh, well, thanks. You're, you. you're a man of many talents uh so we don't have a show next week it's christmas we're going to be with our friends and families and giving gifts and i don't know whatever else people do on christmas um so we're going to talk about the next two weeks of jazz basketball we as always on the end of every show we'll talk kind of preview the upcoming schedule so the jazz have three more games left on this road trip then come home to philadelphia for two games uh no uh, way sorry yeah just one game and then go back away then home then another home game before our next show. So, anyway, let's let's break those down a little bit more. Um, tomorrow at Orlando, the Jazz struggled against the Orlando Magic. I think it was their worst loss of the season in I would my say opinion. So at home when they played Orlando do you think they can kind of take the performance that they had against Miami last night and transfer it to tomorrow's game
2: I would sure hope so then that I think the Jazz have looked better in every game since then even though they, they did lose that fairly ugly game against uh against New Orleans that they probably should have won but they've they've looked like maybe that game put a bit of a charge into them because they, the guys were really upset after losing that game they were not happy at all um do we know if Vucevic is back I don't. For Orlando, we'll have to check on that. the The Jazz had some problems down low, despite Vucevic not being in the lineup. And you have to hope that if he, even if he is, that they can maybe improve that a little bit. Hopefully, Derek's ankle is feeling okay for him, and he can have a big game. Um, and that and Favors and Cantor can continue to play as well as they have recently. I, I'd like to see the Jazz obviously put up a much, much better performance than they did last time against Orlando.
1: How about then the next day, Saturday, December twentieth, they take on the Charlotte Hornets? First of all, the Charlotte Hornets have a worse record than the jazz do this yep. season. They're and only at the six East. and nineteen, right. And they're playing exactly playing against Eastern Conference competition nearly every night. I'm just I'm surprised at how poorly that team is doing. I am too. And, and I I mean, I I think it should be a win, hopefully, for the Jazz. You you know, even if it's on a back-to-back, on a similar strength team, uh, you know, I think the Jazz are a better team, especially given how Lance Stevenson and Marvin Williams have played thus far.
2: Yeah, Charlotte has been a complete train wreck thus far. Everything they were doing well last year is stuff they're not doing well this year. Their defense that we thought they had kind of transformed Al Jefferson into a a pretty great, not a great defensive player, but but a passable one. Yeah. This year, that has not been the case. They've been getting killed while he's been on the floor. Maybe its teams have had a little bit more chance to to kind of expose the little warts that they have there. The Jazz need to win that game.
1: All right. So then, because then the next game they take on the twenty one and four Memphis Grizzlies.
2: Yeah, and that's going to be tough. It's going to be the third game in four nights. That will be a loss. Yeah, in Memphis. That's, I'm just yeah. yeah. With a, there's, Bet the farm. It'd be nice to be in that game, like in the fourth Bet quarter. Bet
1: your fantasy football winnings. Uh on (laughs) memphis winning that game yeah uh, memphis is gonna win that game (laughs) (laughs) then they actually have several days off for christmas they don't play from monday december 22nd from saturday december 27th their next game after that uh when they go home and play play the uh lovely philadelphia 76ers that should be a win, though. I yeah. mean, if you lose to the Sixers, it's at an embarrassment. Home. Yeah, especially at, home. especially
2: at home. No, so that's, that should definitely be a win. And then they get the the rest of that weekend off, and then they fly to sunny, hopefully, Los Angeles. They play the Los Angeles Clippers in L.A. on the 29th. That's going to be a tough one. What, no. do you, what do you make of the Clippers? They are so Jekyll and Hyde this year, aren't they? Like, they've there have been times where they've looked kind of dominant, and then times where they've been like, wait, how are these guys going to beat anybody in the playoffs? <laughs> um I think they're going to put it all together. think their depth is lacking is one thing. Yeah. And, but as you said, when you get to the playoffs, benches are going to shorten down and things like that. And I don't think that'll hurt them as much at that time. And they're good enough that they're not going to be in any actual risk of missing the playoffs or anything like that.
1: But it's interesting because they're also like counting on these like Matt Barnes kind of players yeah. and JJ Reddick kind of players who you know are good bench players. But then they're in the starting lineup, and I don't know that it works as well. I you know I think their starting five might be worse than Dallas's.
2: It could oh, as yeah. of today. I th- I think there's a good chance of that. And they and they've you know the Spencer Hawes thing they did over the summer where they used the full mid level exception. Which for those who don't know the, the salary cap in detail, that means they are hard cap. That's one of the only ways under the NBA salary cap that you can hard cap yourself. Like you cannot spend over this figure no matter what. Right. And that's made them filling in their depth at their you know guarding wings because the Redick and and Jamal Crawford can't do it. For example, they're a really interesting team to watch. We'll we'll see if they can finagle some stuff within the cap to kind of. Get themselves a little more depth, especially at the Wings.
1: Yep, and then the next game, Tuesday, December 30th, they take on the Minnesota Tim- Timberwolves at home. That's a 5-19 and 19 team. Again, a team that you'd like to see the Jazz beat at home.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, they're giving ma- major minutes to a couple of rookies there in Wiggins and Zach Levine. And, I mean, those guys are good, and they're going to be nice long-term. But this is especially at home, it's a team that you wanted to see. The Jazz are going to have a big advantage in terms of the front court. You want to see guys like Ennis and Derek have really big games there.
1: I see the Jazz winning three games there. Charlotte, Philadelphia, and, and Minnesota. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, and I would think they have a chance to beat Orlando tomorrow night as well.
1: Very nice. Cool. All right, well, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're on every Thursday, sans next Thursday, since it's Christmas, from 7 to 9 right here on ESPN 700. You can also listen to the full show on iTunes, Stitcher, or check it out at saltcityhoops.com. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Salt City Hoop show on ESPN 700.